Well, good morning. Well, that's kind of lame. Good morning. Oh, much better. Uh, you may not know me. My name is David Miller. My wife Kathy and I uh, moved to the, the valley about a year ago, right about now. Um, and I retired from 35 plus years of pastoral ministry. And uh, when we were nearing getting close to that decision, uh, we were talking to our daughter and son-in-law who live in Glenwood and and they said, uh, why don't you come here when you retire? And we thought for about two minutes. And uh, then I asked my son-in-law, are you sure we want, you want us to come? And he said, yeah, yeah, we're good. So we moved uh, last March to the Valley. So it's been a year, and it's been great. And uh, we, we uh, did a little bit of church looking. We looked at a church in Glenwood, and we came to the orchard and felt like this was where God was leading us. So we've been here ever since. And uh, we help out in different ways. Uh, I help out uh, greeting. Sometimes you might see me at the doorway greeting people. And my wife helps out with the children's ministry. And I help out on Fridays with the Friday lunch with the high schoolers and that kind of thing. And so we do different things. Um, but it's great to be here. And uh, if you've been with uh, the Orchard over the last couple months, you know that uh, Daniel and Charlie have been preaching a series of messages through the book of Acts. They've been looking at the early church of Acts and how it began to develop and grow and how there was this movement, this momentum that was taking place. And then they, were, they take, have taken uh, truths from the scripture from the book of Acts and sort of applying them to our situation here at the orchard and say, how can we as a church be on a movement, a movement of God? And uh, I don't know about you, but I've been watching that movement pick up steam. And it's really, really exciting to see. Um, it's exciting to see uh, people going deeper, uh, whether it's through growth groups or other ways in their faith. It's also exciting to see people coming to faith in Jesus for the first time. And, and we're not talking like one or two, we're talking like tens and twenties. Um, and that doesn't happen in every church. And so I, I see this movement taking place. And, and that's, a, that's a really exciting thing, and it's fun to be a part of it, and I'm, I'm glad you're with us here today. Last week, if you were here, uh, Daniel preached from the 12th chapter of the book of Acts, and uh, my assignment is chapter 13. And if you've looked at the chapter 13, you know it's kind of lengthy, like 50-some verses, so sort of get, get comfortable, you know. <laughs> Get settled? No, no. I'm not going to go verse by verse by verse. Uh, we're going to pick and choose uh, verses, and, and hopefully you're going to see a message, and you're going to hear a message that's just for you. Because I'm convinced that you're here for a reason and for a purpose, and God has a message for you in his word today. So before we dig in, uh, let's just take a, a brief moment, and we're going to pray and ask God's blessing on our time this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we gather together this morning on this beautiful day and we give you thanks and praise that you've gifted us with this day and you've gifted us with the privilege of coming together into this place where we worship you. And now as we come and we look and we study and we dig deeper into your word, we pray that, that we would be ready for the message that you have for us. 
Lord, we know that there are certain things that may be on our mind or may be jumbling around in our heart and things that might distract us or sort of put a roadblock up from being able to focus on what it is you have for us today. But we pray that you help us to kind of push that at bay. Open our heart. Open our ears. Open our mind to the message you have for each of us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was one of the 11 people that went to Bolivia a few weeks ago, and we got back a week ago uh, Thursday. A um, little time to recoup, you know. It's a, it's a long trip to Bolivia. That's what I, I learned first and foremost. It is a long, long way to Bolivia. But after we got back and sort of got settled in uh, last week, I had the privilege of going to a, a, a young girl's softball game. Um, a couple girls from the church here, uh, one of that was on our Bolivia trip was playing, and I happened to help coach the Basalt High School girls softball team last fall. And a couple of the girls on that team were playing in this game, and so Kathy and I decided to go. And uh, it, it was, I think it was Thursday, and if you remember Thursday, that was the day the wind was blowing like 40 miles an hour sideways. There was a spitting of snow. I, I gotta tell you, it was miserable. I felt so bad for the girls out there on the field because, I mean, we were all bundled up, you know, and just freezing. But as I stood there and watched the game, I, I stood next to one of the dads, who's a friend of mine, and... Um, he said, have you recovered? Have you recovered from the trip? Because his daughter was one of the ones that went with us on the trip. And I said, you know, it took about five days for me to recover from this trip to Bolivia. And, um, you know, here's a little tip for those of you who have a little gray hair like me. It gets harder to go that far the older you get. Uh, that's what I've learned. And, um, you know, when you're traveling 24 plus hours just getting there and 24 plus hours getting back, it's just hard. And by the time I got home, I was like drained. And so my friend said, have you recovered? And I said, yeah, I think, I think I've gotten over it. I think I've recovered. And then he looked at me, he said, so what have you been doing this week? And I'm thinking, recovering, that's the first thing. And then I said, well, um, I, Charlie asked me to preach this Sunday, so I'm, I'm prepping my message for Sunday. And he looked at me and said, so what are you going to bring us? What are you, you going to give to us? And I looked at him and I, I said, you know, I'm kind of simple-minded. I'm going to bring you four words. That's what I'm going to bring this morning. And as we look at this 13th chapter of the book of Acts, I really want to focus on four words. Now there's actually, quite honestly, truth be told, there's five. But there are four key words. And the first word is this, it's commission. And if you look at the very beginning of this text, what I want you to see is there's Barnabas and Saul. And also, just so kind of to help bring in the full picture, Saul is also Paul. Saul was his earlier name, and then after the Damascus Road experience, and as he's beginning to minister, we know him as the Apostle Paul. So Barnabas and Saul have been teaching and preaching in Antioch. They come back to the church in Jerusalem, and the church in Jerusalem commissioned them, and we see it in verses 2 and 3, and let me read them for you. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed hands on them and sent them out. 
Now, let me make a couple observations in those two verses. Number one, I want you to see that Paul and Barnabas did not say, okay, we're going to go on mission. They did not initiate the mission. What I want you to see is that the Spirit of God initiated the mission and said to them, I want you to commission. I want you to set apart Paul, Saul and Barnabas to go on mission, to serve me. And that all happened while they were praying and fasting and worshiping. And I want you to see also that the leaders who commissioned them, who set them apart for this mission, they didn't really know what that was going to look like. They didn't know where they were going to go. They didn't know how they were going to get there. They didn't know how long they were going to stay. They just knew that the Spirit of God was saying, you need to set these two apart and you need to send them on to do mission. And they left that more directive and clarification of the mission up and trusted that to Paul, Saul, and Barnabas. Four weeks ago today, you here at the orchard commissioned 11 people. You set them apart to go to Bolivia. And there should be a picture of our team here. And this is kind of a cool picture. This was after 24 plus hours traveling. We had just arrived in Cochabamba, which is where we spent most of our time. And, you know, look at the, not bad for 24 plus hours of travel. They, we don't look too dead, do we? That's pretty good. But what I want you to remember is four weeks ago today, you set this team apart and you said, we are here to support, to encourage, and to pray for you. We are, we're commissioning you to go to Bolivia to do mission. That being said, I want you to think for a minute. Who else do we commission? Who else do we set apart here at the orchard? Well, we commission and set apart our pastors. Charlie, Daniel, Doug, Kara, and Stacy. We commission them and set them apart and say, we are looking to you to guide us and direct us and lead us in mission and ministry. We set apart and commission our missionaries, Katie Stewart, who we went to Bolivia to support and to encourage, Brun and Teresa Anderson, Ashley Denton, John Altimus, Marianne Barnes, Russ and Joanne Litched. We have commissioned them. We have set them apart. We have said, we are here to support you in your mission. We commission and set apart our elders. Kathy Gray, Greg, Doug Stewart, Rob Goodwin. We have said to each of those three, we believe that God has called you to lead us and to guide us and to direct us in our mission and ministry. We set them apart. We commission them. And when we do so, we're not exactly sure where that's going to go, are we? We're not exactly sure how they're going to lead us or where they're going to lead us. But friends, we need to take seriously our role as members and fellow followers of Jesus here at the orchard. We need to take very seriously our role in the commissioning, in, support, excuse me, in supporting through prayer these that we've commissioned. We need to pray for our staff. We need to support them and encourage them and appreciate them. We need to financially support them. Now I have to tell you, as we went to Bolivia, 
which by the way, is like no other place I've ever been, ever. It is a third world country. You can't even brush their teeth with the water that comes out of the faucet. It's a, it's a totally different place. And I need to tell you that it was comforting to know that you at the orchard who had commissioned us to go were praying for us and encouraging and supporting us in our time there. That was a huge support. I need to tell you, as a former pastor, when I would get an email, a positive, affirming email or text message from a member of my church, that was like a real boost. I don't know what you do on in, in, in your typical mornings, but for Kathy and I, we kind of have a pattern. Yeah, even in retirement, we have a pattern. But the pattern is, I usually get up first, I go down and start the coffee. That's the first thing. I make my breakfast, and then Kathy comes down and she makes her breakfast, and then we sit and we watch the Today Show. Not that it's so wonderful, but we'd like to kind of catch up on what's going on in the world. And I've noticed of late, the Today Show has a certain thing most days. It's called the morning boost. And if you ever watch the Today Show, you know what it is. The morning boost is where one of the announcers, one of those commentators, give this very upbeat, positive message, uh, uh, putting sort of a positive spin on a lot of what is not normally positive in the news. But there's this morning boost. So here's my question to you. How can you give a morning boost to the staff of the orchard, to those that we commissioned this afternoon or tomorrow or the next day? Because I have to tell you, as one who served the Lord for 35 plus years, we all need that. We all need that. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. You've commissioned these folks. So give them a boost. But also, I want to encourage you, just as the church did in Jerusalem with Saul and Barnabas, they trusted those folks they commissioned. The church trusted Paul and Barnabas to go on mission, to direct and to lead. And here's my challenge to you. I want you to challenge you to trust the leadership that you've commissioned here at the Orchard. You may not agree with everything that they think or every, every direction they tend to go, but here's the deal. Don't play Monday morning quarterback. They have the responsibility called by God to lead this congregation. You don't. I don't. Trust them. You've commissioned them. Second word that I want you to see after commissioning, actually it's really, this is the two-word deal. It's on mission. In the fourth verse of the text, we see the uh, Barnabas and Saul were following the Lord's leading and the, the Holy Spirit's leading, and they went to Cyprus. Now, they probably went to Cyprus because Barnabas had been there before. And then we get, early on in verse 5, we get a picture, a clear picture of what their mission is. Listen to what we read in verse 5. When they arrived at Salamis, here's the mission, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. And there's the mission in a nutshell. Their mission was to go to other places to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And they went first and foremost to the, synagogue, or the synagogues. 
And that makes good sense because you see the synagogue was a place where there was a large gathering of people and they also provided an opportunity for visiting rabbis or teachers to come in. And so Paul, if you follow Paul throughout the New Testament, you'll see this is a common pattern. This is how he would begin to preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus. He would go to the synagogue, they would accept him as a visiting teacher, and then he would share the good news with all these folks. Primarily first the Jews. And I also want you to see, if you look carefully at the end of that verse, and they took with them John, John Mark. You see, John Mark was a younger man. He was a young man. And they were kind of bringing him along and leading him up into leadership of ministry. And as they did that, they took John Mark, they went to the synagogue, they began to teach and preach. What I want you to see was immediately, just like that, there were those who began to confront Paul. There was a sorcerer that began to confront him and in fact try to draw the proconsul, the, the, the leader of the group who called Paul and Barnabas to come and teach trying to lead him astray and away from the Lord. And here's a sorcerer, and what I want you to see is they're on mission, they're doing what God had called them to do, what the Spirit had led them to do, and suddenly they're confronted with this sorcerer, and Paul just goes right in his face in verse 10, he says these words, he says, you are the child of the devil. I mean, that's pretty bold, don't you think? I mean, that's like right at you. And he says, and you're gonna become blind. And immediately that's what happened. And because of the miracle and the message, what I want you to see is the proconsul that had called them to come and teach came to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, when we were in Bolivia, we had sort of a twofold mission. The first part of our mission was that we were called to share the hope and the love of Jesus Christ with children. Katie Stewart is the missionary that we support, and they have a school there. It's an after-school program for little children. In fact, there were 80 kids in this school, so we're not talking just a couple. And our purpose was to go and to basically, after their school, we had like a vacation Bible school time. And you kind of get a picture of of, uh, I think it's coming. There we go. There I am. That's my class of boys, second grade boys. Now, there was girls too, but we were hanging out at snack time. And then the next picture you're going to see is my wife, Kathy, and her group. And these are some of her girls, and that's another teacher as well. This was our main goal. This was our main purpose. This was our mission to share the love of Jesus with little children in a third world country that some of them, well, let me tell you, it was pretty sad. Our second goal was to work. Yes, to physically work. Three of us, uh, the other guy, Jesse and I, and then one of our uh, female adults, we worked with a carpenter for five days. And we worked all morning long, and we, we built chairs with him. That was part of our work. And honestly, that was the easy job. The other job was the rest of the eight. That means all the women and all the youth. 
because we had five adults, or father, six adults and five youth. They had the tough job of shoveling dirt. You see, they had built a, uh, they dug a well, and then they dumped all the dirt from the well on the playground, so the kids couldn't play on the play- playground. And so our work job was to move the dirt from the playground to the road. And you, I think we got a picture. That's, now you, don't, you can't really get, that thing's about two stories high to give you a little perspective. That was our mission. That's what God had called us to do. Now, let me just say, when you're on mission, you don't always have a blueprint. You don't always have a roadmap. And I think that's exactly what we see in this text with Paul and Barnabas. There was not a blueprint that they had received or that they shared with the leaders. Um, They simply did the next thing. And that's a phrase that we have in our family, in our household. Do the next thing. When you're on mission, you may not have the blueprint. You may not know exactly where you're going. You may not know the exact same step. So here's the deal. Just do the next thing. Shovel the next shovel of dirt. And this is exactly what Paul did. He went into the synagogue. synagogue. He began to teach. And the next thing that he did was they began um, to respond to those people who listened to what he was teaching about. And the next thing that he did was he, he began to respond to those that were against him. He simply did the next thing. So you may be thinking, um, okay, that's great for Paul, that's great for Barnabas, that's great for the mission team in Bolivia. Um, how does any of this apply to me? What's the takeaway? It seems to me the takeaway is to ask yourself this question. What is the next thing God is calling me to do? As followers of Jesus, all of us, listen carefully, all of us have a mission. All of us have a purpose. And so it seems to me, not all of us are up here in front speaking. Not all of us are called to play these instruments behind me. Not all of us are called to be up in the Sunday school rooms with the children or with the youth over in this part of the building. Not all of us are called to be out greeting people as they walk in, but all of us are called to something. All of us. And so my challenge and my question to you is this. What is the next thing God is calling you to? It may be something at home. It may be something at your place of work. It may be something at your school that you attend. It may be something in a community group that you're a part of. It may be something here at the orchard. I don't know what it is for you, but it seems to me all of us need to ask that tough question so that we can respond to. You and I, we have a mission. No matter where we are in our stage of life, no matter where we are in our stage of faith walk, we all have a mission. What's your next step? That leads me to the fourth word. It's opposition. Commission, on mission, opposition. 
You know, when Paul and Barnabas went on mission, the first thing they faced when they began to teach and preach was opposition. We see it over and over and over again in this text. We see it in verse 6 when they faced a false prophet. We see it two verses later as they faced the sorcerer that I spoke about earlier. We see it in a different frame in verse 13 when we see that John, who they brought along to be the helper, decided to leave them and go back to Jerusalem. And if you were to continue to read in the book of Acts, you would see how strongly Paul felt about this when the young man that they were training up in ministry decided to leave them and go back home to Jerusalem. In fact, he clarifies it and says he, that is John, was a deserter. That's how strongly he felt. There had to have been some sort of conflict going on. We're kind of reading between the lines here. But between Paul and John Mark, maybe it was Paul's leadership style was different than Barnabas's. We don't know. But we know it was something took place that John Mark went back and Paul felt so bad about it, he called John a deserter. But the good thing is, if you continue to read the New Testament, you'll see at the very end of Paul's life, he refers back to John and he says, he was a man who helped me in my ministry. So somewhere between the desertion and the end of Paul's life, there was reconciliation. But still there was this speed bump, there was this opposition. It doesn't just stop there, it continues. Um, We read in, in the 45th verse, late in our text, We read these words, as Paul is teaching, all these people are starting to come because they're really curious and they want to hear what he has to say. And listen to what we read in verse 45. When the Jews saw the crowds of people coming to listen to Paul, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively about Paul, about what Paul was saying. Now I want you to kind of picture this. The Spirit of God has directed Paul and Barnabas to go and teach and preach the good news of the gospel. They are doing exactly what they were told to do. And what happens? Do they get all kinds of strokes and kudos? No, they get opposition over and over and over and over again. And here we see the Jews are jealous because look at Paul and Barnabas getting all the attention and we're not getting it. And so they begin to speak badly about them. Even at the end of our text, the opposition got so strong they were expelled from the region. They were thrown out. So here's the takeaway from us. When you are fulfilling what you believe God has called you to do, when you are fulfilling your God-given purpose, when you are fulfilling your calling and your mission, one would think, Up and to the right. Everything's going great, right? No. Don't be surprised when you're doing what you believe God has called you to do when suddenly you get opposition and opposition and opposition and opposition. What I found over the years is oftentimes when that opposition comes, we begin to question our mission. We begin to question, God, did I get that message right? God, why is this not going right? I'm doing what you called me to do. Friends, That's the way it works. When you do what God calls you to do, 
oftentimes you're going to face opposition. When we were in Bolivia, we had opposition. Fatigue was our opposition. Illness was our opposition. Nine out of the 11 of us got some form of sickness while we were there. And even we had a little bit of discomfort relationally in that. Part of it, I think, was because we were tired. Part of it was because most of us weren't feeling well. But also because we were in these cramped little tight quarters. We were really close together. We did, there was no alone time, you know. For those of us who need a little alone time now and then, forget it. didn't exist. And suddenly we kind of began to get grumpy and kind of get underneath each other's skin. And, you know, sometimes when that opposition, whether it's that or fatigue or illness or whatever it might be, it can kind of shift our focus away from our mission. It's called mission drift. It's called second-guessing. Now, did I get that message right? Am I sure, you know, don't be surprised when the opposition comes. Paul put it this way to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6. He said, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Friends, no matter what you call the adversary, Satan, the devil, the evil one. I don't care what, how you term him. The fact is, that person does not want to see the kingdom of God progress. And the evil one will throw whatever possible to distract us and dissuade us from fulfilling our mission. It's called opposition. Don't be surprised when it comes. But instead, stay focused. Stay on mission. Love God and love people. That leads me to my final word, and that is persistence. Commission, on mission, opposition. I tried to find a word that ended in shin, but I couldn't do it. So it's persistence. What can I say? Persistence, yeah, right. Persistence. At the end of the chapter 13, what I want you to see is all throughout the chapter, Paul and Barnabas have been very, very determined. They've stayed on mission. They've listened to the Spirit. They've obeyed the Spirit. They've faced the opposition, but they've persisted on in fulfilling the mission of sharing the gospel of Jesus. Even when the jealousy of the Jews began to come in here, even when the words uh, begat, began to be hurtful and painful, they continued to persist. And, and look at what we read in verse 46. And Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, those who were against them, the Jews that were speaking out against them. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you rejected it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. They knew their first calling was to the Jews. But in order to continue their calling, if the Jews weren't going to listen, they were going to the Gentiles. They were persistent in fulfilling the good news, the gospel. You know, when I look back at our time in, in uh, Bolivia, we were 
persistent in loving the kids, but also doing the hard work. I, I think we have a picture of uh, some of our fulfillment of determination. Well, maybe we do. There, that's one of the 12 chairs that we built in the, in the wood shop. And really, honestly, that was really pretty easy compared to what the other eight had to do. The other eight had to shovel by shovel that pile of dirt into a wheelbarrow and then push it probably 30 yards out of the playground area into the street and then dump it and then rake it out and smooth it out in the road and then just go back and do that again and again and again and again and give you perspective they did this two and a half to three hours a day for five days and there they are half of it's gone that was their mission they were persistent and that paid off the reality is sometimes when we're on mission we are too quick to quit we get tired we get discouraged we just say I can't do this it's too much and I think the lesson and the takeaway from for us is this when you get tired when you're worn out when you feel like quitting because it gets tough when there's opposition friends you need to stay on mission You see, Barnabas and Paul, they stayed on mission. And the end result of staying persistent in our mission is seen in the 49th verse of our chapter 13. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. The whole region. When they're getting knocked over time and time and time again for preaching and teaching the word, they kept at it. And that word of God spread throughout the whole region. Friends, I don't know what your mission is. But I'm convinced that you have one. It may not be something fancy. It may not be something, you know, where everybody notices. But we are all called to serve. We all have a mission. And we're going to come to the Lord's table now. And it's a time when we celebrate God's grace and God's goodness. It's a time when we remember just how much God has sacrificed through Jesus Christ on your behalf and on my behalf. It's a time when we remember uh, Christ's body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. It's, it's a time when we come as the body of believers in Jesus together to share a meal together, but it's also a time where we come individually. And so as you take the wafer and as you take the juice and as you go back to your seat, I want to encourage you to do two things. First of all, thank God for his goodness. Thank God for the grace that he's given to us through Jesus Christ. But second of all, I want to encourage you to ask God to clarify for you clearly what your mission is today. 
And then once you get that picture in your mind's eye, no matter what opposition comes, no matter how discouraged you might get, let me encourage you. Stay on mission.